the, uh, the story is told of a fellow who uh, went out for an afternoon jog and came across a scene that had him truly puzzled. And uh, uh, as he was dr- running down the street up ahead, he saw a line of men walking in single file down the middle of the road. And as he was running forward, he began to count and he got to the, to the end of the line and it was about 150 men. And they're walking down the middle of the road, just single file down the middle of the road. When he got to the end of the line, he noticed that there was, in front, there was a limousine. And the limousine was stopped at a particular point, and behind the limo were two hearses. And this guy's, you know, attention was grabbed by all of this, and he went up to the limo, and, and he couldn't help himself. The curiosity got the best of him. He knocked on the back window. The window came down, and he peeked inside, and there was a guy sitting in there. And this guy sitting in there, and right next to him was this big, huge Rottweiler. And so the jogger looked inside and he said, I've never seen anything like this. What's going on? And he said, well, he goes, you see the hearse right behind me? He goes, and that hearse, the body of my wife. And the guy goes, oh, I'm sorry. He goes, and the hearse behind that is the body of my mother-in-law. And he goes, man, I'm, 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 I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm really sorry. And so the guy started to walk away, and he stopped, and he thought about something for a second. He went back, and the window had already gone back up, knocked again. The window comes down. He said, hey, uh, mister, let me ask you a question. He goes, would it be possible to ever borrow your dog? And the guy looked at him and said, sure, but you'll have to get in line. Mother's Day. You know, as I mentioned when we first started this series of messages that we would be on on living in light of eternity, that there are going to be a multitude of stories and jokes about death and dying, though most of us would prefer to skip them or avoid the subject altogether, the reality of our mortality speaks for itself. Uh, Since uh, we all are going to die, and it becomes evident, as, uh, as we'll see per- particularly through this message, that since we're all going to die, you would think that we would all have some interest in the topic or the subject at hand. Why do we avoid the subject of death? I believe it's because most folks see death or dying as an evil, a monster that holds captive mankind to the fear of dying. And to a certain degree, there's a lot of truth to that, and it's a very valid observation. You know, we learned from our uh, previous message, The Dark Side of Death, uh, that there, you know, those who have not uh, repented of their sins or trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins should fear death. And the reason is very simple. Because, see, what death does is, death slams shut the window of opportunity that God gives for men to repent. It is God's will that men everywhere repent. And repentance is simply a matter of turning from sin and turning to God. Turning from our own ways and turning to God's ways. It is God's will for every man, woman, and child to repent of their sins. And the reason that we fear death is because death slams shut that window of opportunity that God gives us to get right with God. As long as you and I are still alive, we have the opportunity to repent of our sin, to respond by grace through faith to the finished work of Christ, to believe what God says, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again from the dead, that he's alive today. And we understand that as long as we're alive, we have a decision that we have to make. 
the reason that men fear death is because God has put the fear of death in the hearts of men because once that window of opportunity is shut, the Bible says that it is appointed for man to die once and then judgment. That's it. Period. No do-overs. Judgment comes. For those rejecting Jesus as Savior, death represents and uh, prevents any other chances. So in that respect, death is certainly a monster to be feared. Now, on the other hand, the Bible shows us clearly that this common event that we refer to as death is also a minister to those who have trusted in Christ. And today we're going to focus on this particular truth, and that is that I want to challenge you to see that the Bible shows us that what used to be a monster in our lives as unbelievers becomes a minister in our lives for those who have trusted in Christ and have believed that he died for our sins and that he is alive today and that he gives eternal life to all who come to him. So we're going to look at death from the standpoint that it has gone from a monster to a minister in the life of the believer. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. There's going to be three things that we're going to examine in this particular uh, study. The first one is that death reminds us, it, it reminds specifically the believer of God's plan, his mercy, his kindness, his love, and his hope. As we see in Genesis chapter 3, starting again in verse 22, some of these things we've looked at before, and I'm going to repeat them to emphasize how important that it is that we get these foundational truths down in our life. Because at the end of the day, the bottom line is this. We see the love and the mercy of God demonstrated in Genesis 3, 22 through 24, where we read these words. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us knowing good and evil, and now let, lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forevermore. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out. And at the east end of the garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned in every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. When I was first diagnosed with cancer... And, at, at, and as it has progressively uh, become worse, I cannot begin to emphasize the importance the Word of God has been in providing clarity in what seems to be a, a never-ending, uh, confusing situation in our life personally. You know, as I am and, and as, as our family is, uh, we appreciate all your prayers. We appreciate, you know, the doctors, the nurses, uh, you know, all the different treatments and, all, you know, all the, the variety of things that we've gone through to where we are today. As much as we appreciate all of those things, there's one thing that I can tell you with certainty and clarity, and that is this. There is one place I have always found refuge and strength, and that is in the Lord and in His Word. And this is another wonderful passage, example, of just another uh, place where God demonstrates to me his love. His love, his mercy, his plan, his kindness, his goodness, his gentleness. Uh, the Bible paints a picture of death that should give us hope and relinquish our doubts and our fears as we look at this in this particular passage. Because after Adam and Eve sinned, they died spiritually as well as physically. 
And so, in this act of mercy, God sent them out of the garden, and far from being an act of cruelty, was actually proof of God's kindness and his love. Notice this. You know, if Adam and Eve, uh, you know, Adam and Eve, since they ate of the tree, if, if they would have eaten of the tree of life, they would have been immortalized in their sinful condition. And God said, you know, lest they live forever, separated from the fellowship of God, lest man live forever separated from God, separated from the place that he has prepared for his people, heaven, if man would live forever in a sinful state, then God would not have fellowship with us. And so in order to redeem us, reconcile us, put everything back together, and that's the whole story of the Bible is God's redemptive work throughout human, human history. Man rebelled against God, and God loved man anyway, and God continues to draw man back to himself. That's the overview of the Bible. We're told that, you know what, we would have lived forever outside of the fellowship of God. And so what he was saying is that he drove, look at this, he drove the man out in verse 24. In order to be able to redeem and reconcile man, to bring man back to himself, God realized that, you know what, man has to die. See, and God prevented Adam and Eve from eternal sinfulness by giving them, listen carefully, the gift of death. The gift of death. The ability to, to exit this life and arrive safely in the wondrous life that's to come. What appeared to be a monster, what appears to be a monster, instead becomes a minister, again, like I said, now only to God's people. Only to God's people. He said, lest you live forever separated from God, lest you live forever alienated from his fellowship, lest you live forever in a state of sinfulness, lest you live forever in a place that isn't heaven, that's designed by God, in order that that doesn't happen, then we'll make sure that man dies. And that's a gift of death. And that's a gift from God. See, that's why in 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through through 23, Paul writes this. Listen carefully to this because it's something that as I was reading through it, it's the first time that I really picked up on this one particular truth and that is this. Paul classified death as one of the possessions of the believer. For all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. As Paul writes to the believers at the church of Corinth, he's telling them that one of the possessions that God has given to us as believers is the gift of death. When was the last time you thought of death as a gift from God? A gift. Now, ask this question, and and it's always, uh, you know, one of those questions, easy to answer. You know, how many people want to go to heaven? You know, hey, everybody wants to go to heaven. Okay, how many want to die? (laughs) One guy in the back, we can arrange that here shortly. (laughs) There we go. First volunteer. (laughs) 
You know, it's like, you know, it's like the, 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 the nursery school, Sunday school class of, you know, the teacher was saying, you know, who wants to go to heaven? Who wants to go to heaven? And, you know, and all these kids were like raising their hand and stuff. And, and this one little boy just wouldn't raise his hand. And he's there like, you know, and after everyone's gone, I said, don't you want to go to heaven? And he goes, well, yeah, I want to go to heaven. Well, when I ask the question, why didn't you raise your hand? He goes, I thought you were trying to get a, load, a bus load to go now. And I was like, yeah, I want to go, but I want to go when I want to go. See, you know, we all want to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. You know, we'll talk about the rapture. It's like, you know, you talk to Christians, everybody's into the rapture as a Christian. Because it's a group event. (laughs) Isn't that true? It's the truth. It's like, oh, we're all going to go together. You know, we don't have to say goodbye. We don't have to leave anybody behind. We don't have to wait, you know, and, and go ahead. And, you know, it's like well, we're going together. That's why I believe Christians are so excited about the rapture. It's a group thing. You know, we get like a group discount. That's great. But when you look historically at the Christian church, when, when the Romans were persecuting the early Christians, one of the things that the early Christians realized was, you know what? You could pretty much take away anything from us. You can take away our, you know, we talk about persecution. You can take away our jobs. You can, you can rip our children from our family. You can beat us. Uh, you can persecute us. Uh, you can make life here miserable, and the Romans did to, to the believers. But there was one thing that these unbelieving people would do that played right into the hands of God was that they would kill God's people. And by killing God's people, the Bible says it precious in the sight is the death of, of his saints. It was like you can take everything else away and you can do whatever you want. And the world looks and says the worst thing that can happen to anybody is that they die. And God's people say the best thing that can happen to anybody is that we die. Because until we die, we don't enter into the presence of God. And so they looked at it like we should look at it. We can't lose. And that is the emphasis of what I want to try to get across as we go through this series. And that is this. We, as those who have repented of our sins and trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of those sins and believe upon him and his resurrection, the Bible says we have eternal life to those who believe in his name and we can't lose. See, that's why Jesus said, don't fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You want to be afraid, be afraid of God, because you're going to have to answer to God. And if you reject Jesus Christ as your Savior, as God's Savior for you, then you will spend, as we noted in the last message, you will spend an eternity alienated and separated from God in a place of torment and torture for all of eternity. And it was never God's design because he created hell as a place for the demons and for Satan, but not for people. But people choose to go to hell by rejecting Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on their behalf. Think how powerless death really is. Rather than rid us of our wealth, it introduces us to riches eternal. In exchange for poor health, death gives us the right to the tree of life that is, quote, for the healing of the nations. 
Death might temporarily separate us from our family and friends, but it introduces us to a new environment, to a new place in which there will never be another goodbye. See, the body might temporarily be in the possession of cancer like mine is, or like those who are persecuted throughout the world in the possession of evil men. But these enemies cannot prevent the soul from going to be with God. When the executioners have done their worst, God will be shown to have done his best. And in addition to reminding us of God's kindness, his love, and his mercy, notice this, there are some words that are revealed in Scripture that I want to point out that help us to recognize and to see, you know, some things that are often confused, I think, and misunderstood in the Bible, and they'll give us a better overview of, of uh, this picture of death that God paints for us in Scripture. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9 and look at verse 28, um, a passage that we'll be familiar with after having gone through the Gospel of Luke, but we recognize that in this particular passage, um, there is a, a conversation that's taken place. And starting with verse uh, 28, we read, And some eight days after these sayings, he came about, it came about that he took along Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And so this particular event that takes place here, we see that, you know, here's a Moses and Elijah. And uh, by the way, having died years ago, Elijah translated and taken into heaven. Moses hadn't died and God buried his body. But the reality of it is, is that both of them were gone from this life and they were in the next life. And they were very alert. They were very aware. They were very conscious. They were having a conversation about, with Jesus. And specifically, they were con- conversing about his departure. And in the, in the Greek, the word is exodus, from which we get our, uh, our English word exit. Exit signs. And so what were they discussing? They were discussing how Jesus would go into Jerusalem and accomplish his departure or his exit from this life to the next life. And there was some insight there, and we're going to go through it as, as we look at what we have to look forward to after we die and we go to the next life. But here's a great example of the fact that they were alert, they were aware, they were conversing, uh, they were having this discussion. Uh, you know, it also helps us to understand that, you know, I hear people all the time say, well, when, we, you know, when we're in heaven, we'll know everything. And, and I don't know where that comes from. Uh, I know one thing is that we will see him as he is, and at the same time, you know, but Elijah and Moses didn't know everything because they were in the presence of God, and Jesus was explaining to them what it was that he was about to accomplish. So there's going to be much learning that still needs to take place. There will be much, you know, challenges as far as uh, what's going to be ahead for us. We're going to be looking at, you know, we're not going to be God. We'll never be God, and we're always going to be learning from God because God is, is infinite in his wisdom and knowledge and he's going to be teaching us throughout all of eternity and so when I hear people say well you know I won't really have any questions then or you know what yeah we, we may have all kind of questions we may have more questions then than we do now not as far as the character of God and, and the plan of God and the purposes of God and any of those things but as far as just you know just the awesomeness of God and it's kind of like you know you, you want to how'd you do that I mean, wouldn't it be the, I mean, that's the question of the day. It's like, how'd you do that? 
And it all comes back to, well, I'm God. I can do whatever I want to do when I want to do it. What, you know, what, what else? It's like, whoa. But see, they were talking about his departure. And anyone who has ever traveled is familiar with departure times and arrival times. Time, gate, destination. You know, you know all this in advance. And for God's people, we will be departing this life and arriving immediately in the life to come according to God's schedule. And so when I read this word departure, I get, you know, I I find comfort in it because I recognize that when I leave this life, when you leave this life, you are leaving this life to enter into the next life. And that day of our departure is ordained by God. And so we can rest in the knowledge that God is in control of all things. Does it make it easier? Does it make it any easier to go through the pain, the suffering, and the agony that a lot of you are going through? Does it make it any easier for me uh, to know, it's like the progression of this disease, how much time do I have, earthly time do I have, uh, what are the symptoms we need to look for, you know, what are the signs that, you know, things are coming to a conclusion this side of eternity. Uh, it doesn't make any of those things any easier, but what it does is it gives me a peace about the fact that it's appointed for man to die, and that before I lived a day, God knew every day I would live before I lived yet one. And so we can rest in him and not get all freaked out like the world does, running around looking for hope because he is our hope. He is our rock. He is our foundation. And we pray for guidance We pray for wisdom because God knows we all need it. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, do we do this treatment or not do this treatment? Do we have this surgery or not have this surgery? Uh, You know, do we do this diet and that one and these supplements and that one? And, 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 you know, and, and and I praise God that we can go to God and we can have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus because if it was up to us, we would go crazy. Literally, in my office at my house upstairs, Linda has a collection of things that many of you have given us and they're they're wonderful things, you know, a lot of information, but it's probably a stack that stacks this high off the floor of every book that's been written about cancer, of every diet that's been written, of every supplement that's out there, of every treatment that's there. And now with the internet and the age of the internet, you can jump on that and you can print out, you know, reams and reams of information. And you get to the end of all of it and you go, look at all this information and none of it gives us any direction. And so we go, thank you, Jesus, that you are in control of all things. See, he came from heaven to earth to return to heaven to show us the way. He paved the way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father but through him. So when we follow him, we follow an excellent leader. Because he's been there and he's done that. The word exodus 
The second book of the Bible refers to Israel leaving Egypt, the land of sin, to go into a land that was promised by God for his people. They had nothing to fear if they trusted their leader, Moses, and did what they were told to do. You and I as God's people should never fear death. We have nothing to fear because we can trust the one who is leading us to the promised land. He has been there and he has done that. And he has shown us the way. A little girl was asked whether she feared walking through the cemetery and she replied simply this, no, I'm not afraid because my house is on the other side. We never need to fear an exodus, a departure, as long as it's the route to a better land and we can trust the one that we are following. And the Bible says that he is trustworthy. The second word picture that we have is found in John chapter 11. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Look at John 11, 11. And it's a word that's used often of death in the Bible. And it refers to a restful sleep. A restful sleep. Death is often pictured in the Bible or portrayed when the body rests from the weariness of this life. Notice in John 11, verse 11, it says, And Jesus said, and after this he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go that I must awaken him out of the sleep. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 it says, We don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. And there's some confusion as to what it means when a believer dies. But the reality of it is it doesn't mean that when you and I die we go to sleep. Because we've already seen that when you and I die we're very alert. We're very aware of where we are. Absent from the body, we'll be present with the Lord. Uh, we saw it when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he said to the, to the other thief who had repented of his sin, and he said, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say, you're going to go to sleep and I'll wake you up later. What he was saying was, is that today you'll be with me in paradise. You will know what's going on. We will have fellowship together. We will have a conversation. We will have dialogue. There will be interaction together. There will be an awareness, a conscious awareness of what's happening. So I know this from scripture, the moment that I die, I'll be present with the Lord and I'll be aware of his presence and aware of what's going on. In the meantime, my body will be at rest until the resurrection. And we'll talk more about that as we go through the series, but the body rests now, what's interesting about this is, you know, Paul wrote, absent from the body, present with the Lord. The point is this, um, when we look at a restful sleep, who doesn't like a good night's sleep? I mean, think about it. I mean, how many of you just kind of get to that point at night where you go, I am ready for a good night's sleep? I, I, I had a good night's sleep Friday night. It was Unbelievable. Because I had been sleeping because of what I'm going through, I can't lay down. So I got to sleep sitting up and with my back upright against the headboard. And so you sit and you try to sleep sitting up. And it's the hardest thing in the world to do while, you, while, you're, while your wife's sound asleep. <laughs> it's, it's this competitive thing. It's kind of like, I want to do what you are doing. 
and, and, then, and then the funny thing, we haven't worked these things out yet, but as I've already told you, when I finally do fall asleep, she'll wake me up to make sure that I'm sleeping and not dead. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're working through this. Um, it, it's, it's not an easy thing. But, but I do know this, that there are times where you get so exhausted, you can't wait to go to sleep. Plus, I've got to have my own pillow. I got my own pillow. It's about this thin. It's like, it's like pillow light. It's like nothing. And, 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 and she tries to get rid of it on a regular basis, and it just doesn't happen. And she really gets embarrassed when we carried the thing down to the Montage Five Star Resort Laguna. And I'm like, I'll hang on to my pillow. Thank you very much. And uh, it's like, you're going to take a pillow. You can't take that there. It's like, I need to sleep. And so, you know, sleep is not a bad thing. Now, the problem is is that when you liken sleep to death, here's where we run into trouble. We've all gone to sleep, and we've all woke up. And we do this on a regular basis. So we're pretty comfortable going to sleep knowing that we'll probably awaken again. But since we've never died, we're not really quite sure when we fall asleep in Jesus, if everything God says is true, because we've never experienced that. But see, we have to trust his word that reveals what will happen when we die. When we die, we will awaken in his presence, so to speak. And either we believe what he says or we don't. Why don't many believers look forward to heaven? It's difficult to fall asleep when you're not tired. And just so, I think that those who enjoy good health, a fulfilling vocation, a wholesome family life, when things are, quote, clicking on all cylinders here on earth, we don't look forward to falling asleep in Jesus. We're not tired. But the older that we get, and the more that we serve him, and the more that we are persecuted for his name's sake, we begin to long for these things that unfortunately Christians in our culture don't because it's too comfortable. I had a pastor friend who said he went to an undeveloped nation that was severely being persecuted for their Christian faith. And he said he had the whole Bible to teach them and didn't even know where to go or what to do. And he asked the group that he was meeting with, he said, what is it that you would like me to teach from the Bible? And you know what they said? We want you to teach us about the promises of God. We want you to teach us about heaven. And he realized for the first time that they wanted taught about heaven because that was what they had to look forward to. Our culture doesn't want to talk about heaven. We don't want to talk about death. We don't want to talk about dying because we want to talk about our education, our marriages, our children, our grandchildren, our vacations our second houses, our boats, 
our hobbies, our condos, our you know, trips to the beach. We have too many other things to look forward to. Why would we look forward to heaven? And the reason is, is because we're not tired. And the reason we're not tired is because we are not serving him and accomplishing his purposes. Some of the most worn, exhausted, tired people I've ever met are people who have answered God's call to ministry and are out accomplishing the things of God. And they understand when God says, there's a time coming when you will rest. But for now, we got work to do. When was the last time you served your God to the point of exhaustion? When was the last time that you suffered for his namesake? See, there's one last thought on this matter, and it's Revelation 14, 13. It says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds will follow them. Are your deeds following you? Are they eternal in nature or are they temporary? Most of us get tired from just pursuing the things of this world. We're exhausted. We go on vacation to relax and to rest, and we need another vacation because we're so exhausted from vacation. And we pursue the things of this world, and we don't understand what it means to rest in Jesus. Another word picture is that of a collapsing tent. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Notice um, what the word picture is that the apostle Paul uses. He's saying that our present body is like a tent where our spirit dwells. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He's saying that our present bodies are like tents. They deteriorate in the face of changing weather and storms. And if we use them regularly, which obviously we do, they are often in need of repair. You know, and a tattered tent is a sign that, you know, we'll still have, that we'll be moving on. You know, and death takes us from a tent to the palace, which I love the word picture that Jesus gives about preparing a place for us. You know, I'm reminded quite regularly that, you know, my tent is uh, weathering quickly. You know, every time I turn around and I got something else sticking out of me or another bruise or, or whatever it is, you kind of go, wow, you know what, this tent is fading fast. And, uh, you know, it, but it's okay because we know that these are temporary. Our earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. What's the condition of your tent you know, some people act as if they're going to intend to live in this body forever. But, you know, not realizing it's about to collapse around them. You know, we've already talked about, and I've mentioned that, you know, in the 20 months since I've been diagnosed with cancer, I can think of a handful of people who, you know, their tent collapsed before mine. And they were all convinced my tent was the next one to collapse. You know, and, and at the end of the day, it comes down to this. Someone has said that, you know, we shouldn't drive our stakes too deeply for we may be leaving in the morning. 
You know, and this truth should motivate us. Notice in verse 9. Well, you know, this whole passage, let me read the rest of it. He says, For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, which is that resurrected body, and as much as we having put it on shall not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened because we don't want to be unclothed, but clothed in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body or in these tents, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Now notice this. Here's the summation of all of this. What's his point? What's the message? What's the message of this reality? You and I are fading away. These bodies are tents that are deteriorating. They understood that in the culture. And they understood that, you know what, these tents get worn out. And they have to be repaired. And we're all working hard to repair them. But here's the, the, the punchline of all of that is this. Our time here on earth is brief. It is slowly slipping by. It is a vapor in a mirror. We have got to redeem this time wisely. He says, therefore, our ambition, whether to be at home or to be absent, is to be pleasing to God. Knowing that our time here on earth is short, our ambition should be one thing and one thing only. Is my life pleasing to God? Is your life pleasing to God? God takes great pleasure in the person who repents of sin and trusts in Jesus Christ. That's the first step. And then once we're born again a child of God, we need to ask ourselves a question on a regular basis. Is my life pleasing to God? And not only is my life pleasing to God, but is it my ambition? Is it my passion? Is it my enthusiasm? Every day that I get up and I go, Lord, thank you for another day. My ambition today, my passion today, my zest for living today is to please you. Is it your ambition? Whether at home in this tent or away with the Lord to be pleasing to him. And all you've got to do is examine yourself and find out, you know, are there things going on in your life that just, just aren't right before God? Then God said, wake up. Time is short. I want to live a life of no regrets. I want to live a life that if today's the day my tent collapses, that I can stand before my Savior and realize that there is nothing undone or unsaid that I shouldn't have taken care of while I had the opportunity. And my challenge to you, I hope, is the same thing. Do you really believe that your tent could collapse today? If we did, we wouldn't love this world or the things of this world. We would invest more time in those things that are eternal. We would spend more time in reaching the world with the word of God, sharing the gospel at all costs with the lost. We wouldn't get so hung up on the external or the temporary. We wouldn't be investing so much of our money in these old rundown tents 
where billions and billions of dollars a year are spent on cosmetic surgery and cosmetics in general. And I'm not saying, you know, we don't take care of ourselves. And I'm not saying try not to look good. I'm not trying, trying to say, you know, try to hang on to the tent. It's the only tent you got. You ain't getting a new one. I'm not saying any of those things. All I'm saying is this. Are we equally rich towards God? Or are we pouring a bunch of money in a tent that is just deteriorating and there's nothing you can do to stop it? And that really needs to be the challenge that we look at. Another word picture is that of a sailing ship. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1 verses 23 and 24. We're in content... We, in, in context, we see that Paul was saying that, you know, but I'm hard-pressed from both directions. Having the desire to depart, there's that word again. And this particular word, depart, means a loosening of an anchor. It means to weigh anchor and put out to sea. And what he's saying is, I'm hard-pressed from both directions. Having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And what Paul is saying is this, hey, you know what? I'm kind of caught between two worlds. God has given me a glimpse of heaven, and we see that in 2 Corinthians. He's given me a glimpse of what lies ahead. But I also understand that for God's purposes, that he has gifted me to be here to serve him and his people. And so he says, I'm hard-pressed between going, you know, going to heaven or staying here. And when I understand what heaven's all about, it's like, man, you know what? It's sometimes, I, you know, to be, to be absolutely frank with you and totally transparent, there are days where I'm not feeling well that when I wake up and I'm still here, I'm a little bit disappointed. Because I know what God has ahead for us. And yet this passage sums up where I am at this moment in my life on the cancer coaster, and that's this. I am ready to set sail, but until God gives the signal, I remain on to serve him and to serve you. See, I'm not in a hurry to see my Savior because I know that he'll be there when that day comes. But I'm also not hesitant And nothing has changed since I preached a sermon expecting miracles, accepting God's perfect will almost 20 months ago. Nothing has changed. And my encouragement to you and to me is this. We must all learn to live in light of trusting God on a daily basis, living moment by moment for his glory and for his purposes, content in him, Always mindful that there is no panic in heaven, only plans. Which brings me to one last word picture. And that is, is that the death reveals that we have a permanent home that's being prepared for us. In John chapter 14, don't be anxious, don't be troubled. He says, let your heart, you know, not be troubled at all. Believe in God and believe also in me. And he goes on and he comforts his disciples by saying that, you know, in my father's house are many dwelling places. 
And if it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. In Philippians chapter 3, he talks about the fact that our citizenship is in heaven. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look with me at this particular passage as we bring all this into into, uh, some type of a close. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you and I who have trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins are ambassadors of God. And we see that in verse 17 and forward in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where we read these words, therefore if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, all things have become new. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You and I are still here as God's people because we are his ambassadors to this world. Could you imagine an ambassador being sent to a hostile nation And in order to minister to the people that are there, you want to find out who they are, find out what their likes and dislikes are. You want to be able to assimilate to some degree into the culture. You want to be able to eat their food and try to understand their ways of thinking. And the biggest danger that we have is that we will become so assimilated into the culture that we forget that we are there as ambassadors and that that place is not our permanent home. The worst thing that could ever happen is that a person would leave their country to go to another country and end up being a traitor to the country that sent them. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is this, how are you doing, how am I doing in my role as ambassador in a world that hates God? Because this isn't my home. This isn't your home. In fact, we're longing for and looking for a home that we've never spent any time in. And that's our permanent home. But in the meantime, we're not to be conformed to this world. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we know what God's will is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We're not to go with the flow. We're to be busy about the ministry of reconciliation. In Hebrews 11, God describes his ambassadors this way. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They admitted they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. 
Are you ashamed to call God your God? Is God ashamed to be called your God? Are you thinking of the city that God has prepared for you? Are you longing for a better country? Have you set your heart on the things of God? See, the Bible paints death as a monster to those who don't know Christ, but a wonderful minister to those of us who do. Because in closing, death represents the vehicle that our Heavenly Father sends to bring us to Himself. See, how would you respond if you were told you had a week to live, a month to live, two months to live? See, far too many of us want to be in control of everything. And what we learn the longer that we live is that we're not in control of anything. And we need to be so desperately dependent upon God that we trust him in every detail, every day. I live day to day trusting in God. And it's a great way to live. Some of us want to know how we will respond at that moment. Some of you have asked me, how, you know, how do you deal with this? Charles Haddon Spurgeon says that death is the last enemy to be destroyed. And he said, we should just leave it at that. He said, brother, you don't want dying grace till dying moments. What would be the good of dying grace while you are yet alive? He said, a boat boat will only be needful when you reach water. Ask for living grace and glorify Christ thereby. And then you shall have dying grace when the time comes. Your enemy is going to be destroyed, but not today. Leave that final shock of arms till the last adversary advances. And meanwhile, hold your place in the conflict. God will in due time help you to overcome your last enemy. But meanwhile, see to it that you overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. Throughout history, believers who thought they could never face death discovered that they had the strength to die gracefully when their time came. And the same God who guides us on earth will escort us all the way into his presence. With thy counsel, you will guide me, and afterward, you will receive me into your glory. Psalm 73, 24. I've been asked, you know, how do you deal with this? How do you deal with what appears to be a terminal disease? And uh, Corrie ten Boom, when she was a little girl in Amsterdam, experienced death for the first time. And it had come in the form of the death of a neighbor. And as she was going home with her dad, she thought of that fact that her parents would die someday. And her father comforted her by asking this, when I go to Amsterdam... When do I give you your ticket? And she said, you always give it to me right before I get on the train. And he said, that's exactly right. So your heavenly father will give you exactly what you need when we die. He'll give it to you just when you need it. See, how do I get through life? 
I trust him every day. That's how I deal with cancer. I don't know how you deal with what you're going through, but he's trustworthy. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. From a monster to a minister, death is God's limo that he sends for his people to escort him into his presence. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just are in awe of your word and the comfort that we find in the confusing times of life. God, we thank you for the clarity. We thank you that for those of us who have trusted in Christ, have repented of our sins, have responded by grace through faith to his finished work, that he died on the cross in our place. He rose again from the dead. He is alive today offering eternal life to all who come to him. The Bible says that death is no longer a monster to be feared, but a minister that ushers us into your very presence. God, I pray for those who still see death as a monster, that they will examine themselves to see if they are really in the faith. And if not, they would just cry out a simple prayer, God, forgive me, for I am a sinner. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again from the dead and he's alive today. And that he offers me right here, right now, eternal life by believing upon him. God, make it clear to that person that they are truly a child of God to those who believe in your name. God, make it clear to all of us the brevity of life so that we will get busy accomplishing the purposes for which you have here for us. To be ministers of reconciliation to be ambassadors who represent you, our king from a distant country, to have a longing and set our hearts upon the things of God so that we become more effective in the world in which we live. God, help us to grow weary serving you, so worn out we long for and look for that rest one day that you will give us. God, may we be people who are burdened to reach this world with the word. May we continue to build up those in the faith so that they can in turn reach others for your kingdom's sake. And we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.